studying the book of Jude on uh, Sunday morning, and a single verse this morning, verse 11, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for always for Your Word. We pray that um, You would make it what it is, and that is alive and powerful in each one of our lives. We pray that You would speak to us um, into the specifics of our relationship with You and the very specifics of our life today. And we pray that You would confirm Your Word with accompanying signs and wonders in our spirit, in our heart, in our mind, and in our relationship with You. Cut away whatever it is that needs to be cut away. We pray that You would build up and affirm what needs to be built up and affirmed in our lives. And we pray for this work of Your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Given the fact that there's been a, about a 20-day uh, separation between the last time we were studying the book of Jude, you allow me a, a brief uh, recap. In his letter, Jude calls on us to contend earnestly uh, for this priceless thing that's been entrusted to uh, every generation of Christians, and that is the faith. The Christian faith as it's described uh, in the Bible and in the Word of God and that Jesus uh, died on the cross and was buried and rose again on the third day in order to provide to us. And Jude uh, identified two false doctrines which constitute an attack upon the faith in any age in church history, including our own. And the first, uh, and uh, the battle has to be waged against it, including those who call themselves Christians but hold to these uh, doctrines. And the first doctrine is, uh, as Jude put it, they turn the grace of God into lewdness. They reject the moral demands of Christianity. And second, in doing so, they're denying the lordship of God the Father and of Jesus Christ in the Christian life. And then in verses 5 through 10, Jude provides us with a description of the characteristics of the personality traits, uh, 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 natural bents of these false teachers and false uh, influencers, really with three things in mind. Number one, that we would be able to recognize them for who and what they are and uh, reject what it is that they're uh, uh, advancing. Then number two, to look at these uh, things and see uh, to what degree they mark our own lives, uh, to what degree they're a natural bent within us as well, because the degree to which they're represented within our lives is the degree to which we will be susceptible uh, to their uh, lies and to their false doctrine. And then number three, God gives us this, this uh, description in order for us to understand how it is that God sees them and to realize that they're not the nice, uh, polite, kind, humble people that they present themselves as so often. And of them, we've learned that they view the obedience of God's commandments as entirely optional. Uh, they're rebellious toward authority in general and uh, even God's authority. They're especially rebellious towards God's commandments uh, related to sexual purity. 
they live sexually immoral lives, and when they're confronted with their sin as a justification for their violation of the Scriptures, uh, they claim special revelation from God, uh, telling them that the immoral lives that they're living is okay with Him. Uh, they're not only, they not only reject the authority of the Bible in their lives, but they reject any God-given authority within the body of Christ, so pastors, elders, other church leadership, if they then call upon them to uh, repent of their sin and of their error. They speak evil of dignitaries, so they're so filled with a, a sense of pride and, and uh, self-importance that they're willing to discredit and malign uh, anyone associated with God's Word as it's revealed in the Bible, uh, even angels. They speak evil of whatever <clears throat> they do not understand. That is, their rebellion against God's commandments and His authority reveal them to be profoundly ignorant spiritually and not to be the profoundly spiritual people that they claim to be. And now uh, Jude continues this list and really concludes this particular list. He's going to start another one as you get into verse 11. But he concludes this list now uh, by drawing parallels between them and three of the most infamous figures uh, to be found in the entirety of the Old Testament, a man by the name of Cain, another by the name of Balaam, and another by the name of Korah. And because there's so much that could be said about each one of those people, there's a great deal, uh, a large amount of the Scripture that is given to the description uh, of them, he narrows down the specific lesson that he wants us to learn uh, in this vein uh, uh, for our own lives and concerning uh, these false teachers that we're to avoid in our lives. What he wants us to learn here is about the way of Cain, as you see it there in verse 11, the heir of Balaam and the rebellion of Korah. And uh, one of the things uh, each of these three uh, men have in common is that not only did things end very, very badly for them, uh, but they then led a large number of people uh, into the judgment, God's people, into the judgment that they were headed for. They did a lot of damage among God's people. And uh, even as these certain men, these apostates, in the time of Jude and the time today, uh, were doing among God's people, they were not only uh, setting themselves up for judgment, but looking to draw people into the same judgment that they will face. We notice, first of all, they've gone the way of Cain, the way of Cain. And so, what in the world does that mean? All of this comes from uh, Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 15. And Cain was the first child of Adam uh, and Eve, the first baby born into human history. And as such, uh, Adam and Eve were the first ones in human history to raise Cain. And... Uh, uh, but of course, in having Cain, Cain would not be their final child. They would also have a son by the name of uh, Abel. And when these two were full grown, each of them took up two entirely different occupations. Cain was a tiller of the ground. He was a farmer. And Abel raised and he tended sheep. He was a shepherd. 
And each of them then, as the record tells us, they brought an offering to God. And uh, Cain brought an offering from the fruit of the ground of the Lord. He brought an offering of grains and vegetables. And Abel brought an offering of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat, we're told. He brought an animal sacrifice. God rejected Cain's offering, and he respected the offering of Abel because Abel had, off, uh, had uh, offered his offering by faith, and Cain had not. That is, uh, God had made clear to Cain and Abel the offering that was to be made to him, the terms upon which they were to approach him, and the basis of the relationship that they would have uh, with one another, and what was the only offering that was acceptable to him was an animal sacrifice. And Abel proceeded to offer him exactly what he demanded, and Cain refused to accept God's Word, and he offered God precisely what he, what Cain wanted to offer to God. And so he determined uh, that he was going to be behind the steering wheel, uh, in this relationship with God, that his relationship with God would be on his own terms, that would not be on God's terms, and God would just have to accept that. And all of this is exactly like these apostates that Jude is warning us about, who declared that you can obey God's commandments, you can disobey God's commandments as you choose, and God's co uh, His grace will cover it, and you don't have to honor God's lordship in your relationship with Him. You can be the Lord in this relationship. You're completely free to define Christianity as you please and to live your Christian life uh, precisely how uh, you choose to. And the way of Cain refers to any attempt to approach God on our terms uh, through any other means than through a faith in Jesus Christ and then to make myself uh, the Lord of a relationship with Him instead of it being the other way around. And then there is the fact that God uh, did not respect Cain's offering. And there in the book of Genesis when it says God did not respect His offering, the word is, uh, the phrase is very, very strong. It literally means God would not even look at it. God would have nothing to do with the kind of religious system that Cain was trying uh, to establish. In other words, he would have nothing to do with such a Christianity. And so, yes, God is love, God is gracious, but we come to Him on His terms and not on our own terms. But the worst of it in terms of uh, the uh, application of Cain to these apostates that Jude was talking about is that when God confronted uh, Cain uh, with his sin and he simply called on him to do uh, the right thing in the situation, just do what God had commanded him, he would be accepted, uh, but that if he did not, that his anger and his bitterness and his rebellion would come to destroy him, shockingly, not only did Cain not repent, but he expressed his anger at God by murdering his brother Abel. In other words, he murdered Abel because Abel's life exposed uh, Cain's 
disobedience to God's Word uh, exposed Cain's uh, rebellion against God. And because uh, of uh, Abel's obedience, it made Cain openly responsible for his rebellion and his, uh, against, uh, against God. And this, is a, this was not only the first murder in human history, but it was the first bloodshed associated with uh, religious persecution. And the per- persecution here of the righteous uh, 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 by the self-righteous. And it's sad to say that this kind of thing didn't end with the murder of Abel, but it continues in the murder and the persecution of Christians all around the world, uh, even uh, today, by those who were determined uh, to approach God independent of Jesus, to approach God on their own terms, uh, whether they do so on the path of secularism or whether they do so uh, on the path of some works-based religious system. And today, because of the protections that we have for religious freedom in the United States uh, of, uh, of America, uh, an able, uh, a Cain, uh, 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 or rather an able, is rarely murdered for being f- a faithful Christian here. Instead, the Cain, or the certain men that Jude talks about uh, here, they work to destroy our names. They work to destroy our reputations under the, uh, a barrage of gossip and slander and name-calling. And so, uh, the Christian in this culture, even by others who declare the, uh, claim to be Christian, we are called uh, narrow, bigoted, intolerant for simply remaining true to the faith and called that not only by the world, but increasingly by uh, apostates who call themselves Christians. So again, the way of Cain refers to any attempt to approach God on our own terms, and then to make myself the Lord in a relationship with God instead of the other way around. And such people uh, claim to know God, but they uh, will not submit to His authority or their commandments in His life, and will go so far as to attack uh, and destroy authentic Christianity, attack and destroy authentic Christians uh, when neither God uh, nor those Christians will bow to their demands and their twisting and editing of the Scriptures. And they'll go so far as to attack and uh, destroy Christianity uh, if that's what it takes to burn the whole house down if they don't get their way. And just as God judged Cain, Jude is warning God will judge these apostates in Jude's day and as they exist uh, today, as uh, Jude illustrated so graphically in verses 5 through 7 in the previous study. So Jude warns us to stay away from this kind of a person and to stay away from their spiritual influence. The second person that he gives us an example of here is he talks about the fact that they run greedily in the heir of Balaam for profit. And so here he describes the heir of Balaam. 
The biblical account of Balaam is found in Numbers chapter 22 through 24, and uh, the incident concerning Balaam occurred about five months before the children of Israel made their entry into the promised land uh, under Joshua after 40 years of wandering uh, in the wilderness. And as they're making their way from the area of their wilderness wandering to Canaan, it was necessary that they would pass through several nations and several kingdoms in order for that to uh, occur. And despite having uh, given these kingdoms assurances that all they wanted to do was make their way to Canaan, they were not going to strip the land of their wealth, they were not going to be a danger to any of these kingdoms or these uh, nations, they didn't want a conflict with them, they were refused passage by the Edomites. Uh, And then as they continued uh, on their journey, they were progressively attacked militarily by the Canaanites, the Amorites, by Og, the king of Bashan, uh, and each of them was progressively defeated by the children of Israel in a a military uh, conflict. And then as they approached the land of Moab, uh, the home of the Moabites, and uh, not Melanabana and Tully, uh, but the Moabites were real people in the ancient world. And, and as they approached uh, Moab now, getting very near to the land of Israel to make their entry into uh, Canaan, uh, the king of Moab, a man by the name of Balak, he was terrified that Israel would then defeat the Moabites as they had defeated everybody else uh, militarily. And so he summoned a prophet by the name of Balaam to come to him. He offered him great wealth if he would come and that he would pronounce a curse from God over the children of Israel as they laid in camp, in camp numbering uh, millions of people by this time there on the plains uh, of Moab. And so Balaam uh, did come, and under the motivation of greed, he should have never come at the beginning, but under the motivation of greed, uh, he'd been offered all of this great wealth to come and to curse uh, Israel. And so he found a way to do it in the permissive will of God. But as he came now to uh, pronounce his Balak hope, to curse over the children uh, of Israel, Every time, God filled Balaam's mouth with a prophecy of beautiful blessing concerning the future uh, of the children uh, of Israel. And all of this, of course, was of great frustration to uh, King Balak. And so it happened over a series of four prophecies. Every time Balak would take him to another place to view this encampment of the Jews from a different angle to maybe provoke a curse from, maybe you can't curse him from the west, maybe you can curse him from the north. And so he attempted to do, and these blessings that proceeded, uh, one after the other are among some of the most beautiful prophecies in the Old Testament concerning the Jewish people, and including uh, prophecies concerning the coming Messiah, concerning 
uh, Jesus himself. So, so far so good uh, with uh, Balaam. So what happened to make him one of the greatest villains, one of the greatest reprobates in, uh, in the Old Testament? Well, when we put the entire uh, biblical account together concerning Balaam, we take it from the book of Numbers, we take it from Second Peter, also here in Jude, then from Jesus' words in Revelation chapter 2, uh, a portrait comes together and, and we find the answer. Because Balaam did not curse the children of Israel, as Balak had hired him to do and uh, called on him to do, uh, then Balak told him, now you go home. In fact, told him to flee back to his house and, uh, and he would uh, go without any kind of pay or reward. And so here the greed begins to work upon uh, Balaam to go back now. He should have been contented as a prophet to be used by God to pronounce those blessings upon the children of Israel. Should have been reward enough. But he wanted the money. And so as he uh, thought about it, uh, Balaam proceeded to reveal to, uh, Balaam proceeded to reveal to Balak the way that uh, Israel could be cursed and the way that Israel could be uh, defeated. And Balaam's counsel to Balak for the only way to stop the forward progress of the children of Israel, and it's the only way to stop the forward progress of God's children to this day. And his counsel was, Balak, you cannot successfully curse or defeat these people from without. Their God is too great, and He will turn every curse into a blessing as you have witnessed. The only way you can get to them is to get them to bring a curse upon themselves. Only they can bring defeat upon themselves. And here's how you need to do it. Their God is a holy God. Their God is a jealous God. And He will not share their affections with other gods. So take your Moabitess women and make them available sexually to the men of the children of Israel. And then when they get all worked up in that lustful kind of a situation, have your Moabitess women then pull out their gods and demand that worship take place as a part of everything that is going on there. Get them to engage in the worship uh, of Baal. And their God, who is a jealous God, will be forced to respond in a righteous anger. And Balak did exactly that. And he not only involved the Moabitess women in uh, this scheme, but he also involved the women uh, of Midian. And it was very successful. And 24,000 among the children of Israel died in a plague that resulted from all of it. Balaam would later be killed, uh, not in his homeland, but he would later be killed when God sent Israel to war against the Midianites for their role in all of this with the Moabites uh, because he didn't return all the way home, but he continued to live among the Midianites. 
And the heir of Balaam was, and it is, claiming to represent God, but encouraging God's people to sin, to teach them to sin. And such people are usually, as is the, the, uh, the, the case with Balaam, they're usually not content to merely in, engage in sin themselves, but a desire to then draw others along uh, with them. So misery loves company in, in this way. If a, if a sexually immoral Christian, or whatever the sin might be, if they remain a very, very small minority within a church body or within the body of Christ as a whole, uh, then uh, they're, uh, uh, they're shunned. I mean, there's just the recognition this is the wrong way uh, to go. And so they'll always work to enlarge their numbers. They will always proselytize into their sin so they can then say, look at all of the other Christians who live the same way that I do and believe the same way that, that, uh, that I do. And so, why would a person do this kind of thing? Well, uh, Balaam did it as his motivation for greed and profit. And uh, so it is today that, that uh, gain can be financial or the gain can be measured in other ways than, uh, than money. It can be the gain of gaining the acceptance and the favor of the world. And all you, if you ever want to become immediately uh, popular, uh, as a Christian before the world. I mean, you might even end up on television before it's all uh, said and done, is uh, simply make a stand and start to declare that you're a Christian, but you don't believe these things or the necessity of obeying uh, these kind of things. They will give a claim in favor to such a Christian but such a Christian is an apostate. They're a Balaam. They are uh, the uh, people that Jude is warning us against. So he says this kind of person, their judgment is coming upon them as it did upon Balaam, and steer clear of them because they lead people then into judgment as well. And then finally, uh, they are like those who perished in the rebellion of Korah. And this is all recorded for us in Numbers chapter 16. And uh, the sin of Korah was rebellion against uh, God's appointed authority among his people. Korah was a Levite among the children of Israel. He was of the tribe of Levi. And to be a Levite under that old covenant was to uh, hold a very significant uh, spiritual position among the nation. It was to hold a, a position of great spiritual import and, and influence. And, uh, and so he led this rebellion against the uh, God-appointed authority of Aaron and Moses during the 40 years of, of the children of Israel wandering uh, in the wilderness. The Levites had responsibility for uh, the physical aspects of the worship of God. And so when the tabernacle moved, 
Uh, they would pack up all of the articles associated with the, uh, the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant, the uh, altar of incense, the tent itself, the tabernacle itself, all of the furnishings, and they were responsible for the, the, uh, the, the transportation of it. They were like in, in what we would call a kind of a deacon within, uh, within a Christian church. And so this uh, guy, this Korah, it, is, it, 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 it isn't that this guy didn't already have a very, very meaningful and significant ministry from the Lord. Uh, he was a Levite, but his complaint was that he wasn't a priest. All priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests. Priests could only be priests if they were descendants of Aaron. And that was his beef. He was not a descendant of Aaron, wanted to be a priest, but he couldn't rise to that position uh, because of, uh, of his bloodline. So, not content uh, to rebel against the authority of Moses and Aaron alone as he rebelled against them, he then enlists two brothers to come along and help him uh, by the name of Dathan and Abiram. Uh, never name your sons Dathan and Abiram or Korah. And he then, uh, he then uh, secretly and quietly, all of this comes as a surprise to Moses, and Aaron, when ultimately the rebellion is sprung, these people are very crafty, and so he comes and he uh, gets the uh, help and the support of 250 other men among uh, the children of Israel, the very top leaders among the children of Israel at the time. Korah never rebels alone. He always pulls a, a larger group into his uh, rebellion. It's amazing how many uh, people, I mean, elders, deacons can get drawn, uh, leadership has happened under Korah, get drawn into one man's bitterness, one man's selfish ambition, and be completely unaware of the true motivations uh, of, of Korah, because Korahs tend to keep them uh, very, very well uh, hidden. And so Jude warns uh, us about these apostates who they operate secretly. They know very well uh, what they are about, what they're doing in an effort to seduce people to join them uh, in some rebellion in which they, they reject some aspect of God's uh, word or His commandment that they find personally offensive. The accusation that they brought against Moses and Aaron were uh, these. You take too much upon yourself. Uh, then they said, for all the congregation, everybody is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. And why do you exalt yourself above the assembly uh, of uh, the Lord? And the bottom line is that they wanted the authority among God's people that God had given to Moses and to Aaron. And, and uh, the, the problem is, and the thing that so often only God is aware of, and a leader like Moses is aware <laughs> of, is that not only uh, did Moses not appoint himself as the leader of the people of Israel, 
you might remember he tried everything in his power uh, to get out of the calling. And so when someone comes along and accuses Moses of selfish ambition, uh, it's almost laughable uh, to him. Well, to make a a long and very, very instructive uh, story short, uh, Moses proceeded to rebuke them. And he warned Korah and his, uh, the two brothers and the 250 that were with him. He warned them and he rebuked them and uh, told them they were not up against him and Aaron, but who they were truly up against was the Lord himself who had appointed them to this position. But they wouldn't listen to the warning. They wouldn't repent. And uh, then they went so far as to now gather the entire congregation uh, of the children of Israel against Moses and Aaron. Uh, And here he is now poisoning uh, thousands and thousands of God's people with his rebellion. And ultimately, God brought his judgment upon all all of them. The earth ended up swallowing uh, uh, up uh, Korah, Dathan, Abiram, and their households. A fire came down and smote the uh, 250 other leaders, killing them on the spot, readily identifiable by the censers that they were holding uh, in their hands, and some kind of like a lightning bolt or something that just went the, through the whole group. And on the next day, the, uh, despite this supernatural uh, judgment, not only upon these men, but upon what they were doing in their rebellion against God's authority that he had uh, delegated to Moses and to Aaron. The next day, the children of Israel having a night to think about it, uh, they got up in the morning and, uh, and in the face of the obvious judgment of, uh, of these other men, they accused Moses and Aaron of killing the people of the Lord. And so God knows how to protect uh, His people, uh, in Moses and Aaron, against 253. He knows how to do it against four or five million. And so God smote the congregation with a plague that ultimately consumed 14,700 of them, and a plague that ultimately was only stemmed by the intercession and the actions of Moses and Aaron uh, themselves, making very plain to the entire uh, congregation, painfully clear to them, uh, the God's choice of Moses and Aaron as leaders over them. And so the rebellion of Korah was uh, his sin that we're called to recognize and avoid in others uh, was rebellion. Rebellion against God's authority and against those God has called to exercise that authority. And so a warning against following a teacher or an influencer among God's people who is not content with God's plan and His purpose for their own lives as evidenced by uh, selfish ambition in their lives, bitter envy, self-promotion, self-will in their lives. And again, the Holy Spirit uses Jude to expose these false teachers and, and apostates and revealing that their attack on Christianity, their discontent with Christianity as the Bible defines it, 
does not come out of something noble and virtuous within them, though they always know how to present themselves in, in exactly that way, but that it comes out of selfish ambition, bitter envy, self-promotion, and self-will. No matter how well hidden they keep all of that until the day of their judgment, even as was the case with Korah. And again, Jude warns us, steer clear of this kind of person. Their judgment is coming. Don't follow them into that judgment. And so the way of Cain and attempt to approach God on our own terms rather than upon His and to demand that uh, my relationship be with Him be on my own terms as opposed to His. The heir of Balaam is claiming to represent God while encouraging God's people to sin, and the rebellion of Korah is re uh, to encourage rebellion against God's authority and against those God has called to exercise that authority. And so there you have it in verse 11. But the application, in the privacy of our own hearts this morning, to just stop and ask ourselves, which is what Jude is wanting us to do. Do you, do I, have anyone who claims to be a Christian who is influencing us in any of these three ways presently this morning. And Jude says they are headed toward judgment and don't follow them into that judgment. Is there anyone who is encouraging you and me, claiming to be a Christian, telling you that it's okay to live this Christian life any way that you choose to. And you don't have to take seriously all of the commandments of the Bible. You, you, are at, you have the steering wheel in this relationship, and it's okay. Or they encourage you, as Balaam did, uh, tempt you or encourage you into sexual immorality as a sin. That God's standard is too extreme that nobody can keep this standard, even the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's okay to live together. It's okay to have casual sex. It's okay to whatever and come in and be an influence because they're living that kind of a life while claiming to be a Christian. And misery does want company. Sin wants company. And they're trying to compel you into that as well. Or to take and uh, presently endeavoring to call you into a rebellion against authority, uh, God-given uh, and God-ordained authority within the body of Christ, and nurturing a rebellious attitude toward that authority. And so, you stop and you look at it and you realize, no, these are prevalent temptations even today. These are prevalent influences even today among those who claim to be Christians, trying to influence those who are trying to live the Christian life as it's described in the Scriptures. And Jude says judgment is coming to them, and don't follow them in their error, because it is to follow them into 
judgment. And so the need to uh, join God, to join Jude in rejecting such people, rejecting their influence and their, their views, and to never compromise with that error. And so we let it search our hearts today and to realize, okay, it's not just verses in the Bible. Jude takes and, and he says, let me give you historical, let me give you historical, I'll give you, I'll give you the same truth, but I'll, I'll build it around a person, around an event so anyone can understand what it looks like and where it leads. So that it isn't just something that goes as he's trying to Give us this warning here this morning. Goes in one ear and then out the other and doesn't, isn't given that place of sobriety within our lives. And so the warning concerning these three things, and with these three things, he completes his list. If you sit here this morning and you are not yet a Christian, one of the things that's important for you to realize is there are a lot of voices out there claiming to represent Christ and representing Christianity. And you say, how in the world can I know which one is true? You, whatever they say, you look at the verse in the Bible, and is that what that verse says? Does that Christianity come out of the Bible? But these people are crafty. These people are uh, silver-tongued. They're very, very, very smooth. So you've got a lot of voices and it can be confusing with all of the voices claiming to be authorities upon uh, Jesus Christ and upon Christianity and what God cares about and what He doesn't care about. And so Jesus gives you and He gives everyone this wonderful, wonderful, foolproof way to determine whether the Christianity as it's described in the Bible really comes from God. Uh, and, uh, and Jesus said, and not from my, uh, comes from God the Father, and not from myself solely. In John chapter 7, verse 17, Jesus said, if anyone wills to do his will, that is God the Father's will, he shall know concerning the doctrine whether it is from God or whether I speak in my own authority. Jesus is saying to simply take a Bible. There are free Bibles all over on this church grounds and in the sanctuary in the fellowship hall, to simply take a Bible and then to begin to know that Bible and to begin to obey that Bible and see if the quality of life that is produced by simply obeying what God has called us to do doesn't bear witness in comparison to everything else in the world to the fact that only God knows what He's talking about in terms of how life is to be lived. And of course, the place to begin with doing the will of God, the very best place to begin, is by trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, being born again. And then heading into this book, heading into this Bible, beginning to obey it, and then watch the life that unfolds the beauty of it. It's life as we were intended to, as we are intended to live it. And if you have never trusted in Jesus Christ, had the Holy Spirit come into your life, be born again is what Jesus called it, 
Then they're going to be pastors and other men and women up in front after the service. They'd love to answer your questions and pray with you to become a follower of Jesus Christ uh, today. And then to avoid not only wasting our lives, uh, these three score and ten, on all of these theories and ideas, whether it's uh, uh, of Cain or whether it's of Balaam or whether it's of Korah, uh, but then to not follow then into the judgment that follows all of that, as opposed to the glory that follows the life of becoming a Christian, both in this life and the life to come. Come forward today and receive the Lord. If you need prayer for anything this morning, They'd love to pray with you and for you as well. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer. Well, I tell you, I, I really, and I pray for all of us, we really take this to heart. We know that you don't speak just to be speaking. You don't put verses in the Bible just to pad it in any way. And if any of us, Lord, myself included, have come under the influence of Cain, under the influence of Balaam, under the influence of Korah, as it is represented in people who claim to be Christians today in this world, that You'd put Your spotlight upon that, that You would reveal it to us, and then, Lord, that You would give us the boldness and the strength and the fear of You to turn away from that person and their influence in our lives. And Lord, we love the truth. We're happy to be in the truth. We love the beauty of the miracle that You have made of our lives as we simply endeavor to walk with You and obey Your Scriptures. And we don't want even a minute of our time to be hijacked into these things that are not merely a folly, but are something that leads to chastening and to judgment. So continue to speak to each of us as needed this morning through this single verse and prune away everything that you see needs to be pruned away. And we ask for this work of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen.